This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Happy New Year! Oh, Sarah, this is our annual New Year's podcast, a review of the EM Pulse year, if you will. You know, it's kind of fun to look back on the things we have done. Yeah, I enjoy it too. And this year, we took a slightly different approach. I'm not sure how many of you picked it up, but we did deep dives into several topics by doing short series, like our legal series and our women in medicine series, or the series we interrupted for this year in review, Bullet Points. Right. I have personally enjoyed a little bit more because while I do like bite-sized snacks of knowledge, sometimes when it's so brief, it's hard to know how to apply it. It isn't enough for me to actually change my practice. We've also partnered with other groups this year, like the Emergency Medical Services for Children Innovation and Improvement Center, the Bullet Points Project, and other podcast teams to tap into some wonderful resources out there. So to cap off the year, we both prepared three things we learned from the podcast this year. Jules, you want to get us started? Sure. Uh, I guess first off, I loved our recent podcast, Do I Really Need to LP a Febrile Infant with a UTI? You know, I have asked this question a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it has been quite a few times. And now I have an answer from the PCARN publication, Serious Bacterial Infections in Young Febrile Infants with Positive Urinalysis Results. PCARN found that among almost 700 infants aged 29 to 60 days with a positive UA, there were no cases, zero, Sarah, of bacterial meningitis. That's huge. Zero is huge in the statistical world, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but they did find that in the second month of life, if you have an elevated procalcitonin and or ANC, you could have bacteremia. So in those cases, consider IV antibiotics and admit and maybe even decision share on the LP. But for that first month of life, you still have to do everything. It doesn't matter if you have a positive UA or not. I love it because as a medical student and a pediatric resident, man, did I do a lot of LPs and admit infants with UTIs looking for meningitis. You know, we always said that neonates don't localize or focalize their infections, but now we know that's not true. Myth busted. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that one, too. As a general EM doc who sees kids, I would love not to have to LP so many babies. So that's a really good one. One of the things that I learned came from our legal series. The most likely reason for physicians to be subpoenaed was to be a fact or percipient witness. I mean, I should have known that since I've been subpoenaed <laughs> for that. But it was interesting to hear that since we spend so much time stressing about the dreaded malpractice subpoena. Dun, dun, dun! <laughs> <laughs> it was really helpful to get a better framework for that subpoena. Deputy District Attorney Chris Orr said, remember, a subpoena is not a party invitation. I actually did not know that I could call the person issuing the subpoena to set up a plan. So from now on, if I get a subpoena, I'm going to call the issuing attorney and find out what the questions are and set up a time that works for me. It will make the process a whole lot easier. Oh, man, Sarah, that is such a practical point. And I can tell you from knowing people that have sat in an empty <laughs> waiting room waiting for their turn only to find out the case had been continued, that is a worthwhile investment phone call. Absolutely. 
The other thing that really resonated with me right now is ED crowding. The ED has been crazy lately with lots of sick patients and long wait times. And it got me thinking back to our interview with Dr. Deb Dierks in the episode, It Isn't Just Our Problem. So Deb is one of the authors on a commentary in the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst called Emergency Department Crowding, the Canary in the Healthcare System. And we talked about the myriad factors that impact ED crowding, like lack of capacity in primary care and skilled nursing facilities and psychiatric and addiction treatment, as well as crisis fatigue and staff shortages. And, you know, when outpatient care is delayed, sometimes it's just easier and faster to send your patients to the ED for a workup. So I feel like in the ED, we are constantly trying to fix crowding. And it was validating to hear that the impact on physicians and staff well-being is significant and that real solutions have to come at the hospital and system level. I found it really helpful to learn about this article as a resource. It's something you can send to your operations team and your senior leadership to help develop a multi-level concrete plan to address crowding. You can find a link to the commentary in our show notes. Heck, I think you should send it right up to the C-suite, Sarah. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, 2022 was a year of personal growth for me, Sarah. I took a really deep dive into the role of women in medicine And by extension, my own role in medicine and society as a woman. I don't think I grew up aware of these things as much as maybe I could have. But one of the wonderful things about working at a place like UC Davis and working on this podcast, frankly, is that I have the opportunity to rub shoulders with so many wonderful, enlightened people who push me to see beyond my own personal blinders. I've probably read 10 plus books on this topic, just kind of immersing myself in this topic, including handing out books to everyone around me and making my husband read these books, too. My top book, by the way, is Brave Not Perfect by Rashima Saujani. This process really opened my eyes to how society expects women to be primary caregivers, homemakers, visually appealing, and still give 110% at work. More and more roles were added to us without subtracting, and frankly, that's overwhelming. We're expected to be kind, caring, demurring, yet still lead a meeting, a project, and a code boldly. If we give an order, we're considered a bitch, frankly. And if a male does it, he's considered a decisive leader. The paradox is embedded in society and therefore a challenge for every one of us in a leader role. The depth of the paradox of expectations and roles is one thing that I've really learned this year. Yeah, that whole series really resonated with me as well. It's something that I feel on a daily basis. And to be able to kind of pick apart those specific things and address them and realize that, uh, no, I'm not crazy and no, I'm not overreacting. These feelings are real. Yeah, The third thing that I learned this year is more on that paradox. It is really helpful to hear from all of the experts on practical things that we can do. So I am personally working on calling my physician colleagues that are women doctors in the professional setting. I am apologizing less. I am expecting more from others. I am not volunteering for work, housework, quote unquote. And I am watching out for ways to promote or sponsor other women. That series was really huge for me. Yeah, I love those takeaways. I'm going to work on all those, too. (laughs) (laughs) We'll share our to-do list. (laughs) Absolutely. Another thing I learned this year was on the Please Don't Hurt Me podcast. 
I love taking care of kiddos in the ED, but I don't love hearing a child scream, especially during a painful procedure. I don't know if it triggers my mommy instincts, but (laughs) it's not my favorite part of a peed shift, which is why I really loved this practical podcast. My favorite takeaways are skin to skin for infants. And for everyone, I need to let them eat as soon as possible. So true. I also love exploring the possibilities of an intradermal lidocaine delivery system like the JTIP. And I'm exploring those positions of comfort or how to use caregivers to hold a child during my exam or procedures. Check out the show notes for a video link to see them in action. My last key takeaway is that there is a toolkit on peds, pain, and sedation that I can access at emscimprovement.center. This podcast was based on some of the information in that toolkit. Well, that's our year in a wrap. We would love to hear from you. What did you learn this year? Hit us up on social media. Share your favorite episode with a friend as well. And thank you for all of your continued support. See you next time as we continue our deep dive into firearm injury prevention with bullet points.